Hey, Chapel Street Church family. I'm excited to tell you about our next generosity initiative. As you probably know, every year at Advent season during Christmas, we select a Serve the World partner to tell you their story, to pray for them, and to encourage you to be generous to what God is doing in their ministries. And then usually one other time a year, we pick another Serve the World partner to do the same thing. This year, with our Vacation Bible School students happening right now, uh, who are always generous during those weeks to give, we've decided to partner with our kids to support a ministry called Cure Zambia. Cure is a remarkable ministry. They're putting first world hospitals in developing countries. And the hospital in Zambia, Cure Zambia, is one I've actually been to with my wife years ago to see firsthand this life-changing ministry that they're a part of. And we have a church-wide goal across all of our campuses, together with our kids in VBS, to bless this ministry, to provide enough money to hire a new surgeon, equip a new surgical center, and provide the necessary resources for the children's equipment as they recover from these life-changing surgeries. Again, I've been there, I've seen these families and these children and how what Cure is doing changes them, transforms them, both physically and spiritually. And so together, this is a great opportunity for us to demonstrate the generosity of our God across the world. Let me just take a minute to speak to those of you who have never yet taken a step of generosity here at Chapel Street Church. This is the perfect opportunity for you to take that step, to be generous to what God is doing, because this money is being given away to bless a remarkable ministry and bless people we may never meet, but people who God sees and God knows and God loves and cares about. So let's together as a church family, along with our kids, be generous and reflect the heart of God. When we're generous, we reflect God's heart, we move the mission forward, and we remind ourselves that this life, all we have is a gift of God's grace. It's not ours, it's His. So Chapel Street Church, let's jump in this journey together. Well, I know that our kids have already uh, started le leading the way and, um, and helping meet this need uh, through Cure. Um, if you're not familiar with that ministry, it, as Jeff said, it's one of our Serve the World partners there um, in Africa and other um, parts of the world, and they do amazing ministry. It's, it's, um, it's really incredible to see not only how the physical healing serves a family, but far beyond that, what the, the spiritual support and care that they get in that. And so again, as Jeff mentioned, um, our goal uh, through the month of July and Serve the World is to raise $150,000. Again, if you're new with us, Serve the World is those are funds that go to partners outside of our walls. It doesn't support the regular ministry of the church here at Chapel Street, but it's partners that we see who are making the gospel tangible through the ways they serve the community. And we have an opportunity to be a part of that. And so um, whether you've been here for years and been a part of uh, some of these other projects in the past, or if you're brand new, I want to invite you to prayerfully consider this. Um, even if it is, is $5, $10, I know, again, our students have been modeling for us a heart of generosity last week and this week, but I would love to uh, invite you to, to prayerfully consider being a part of this. It'll go on for the next few weeks, and we'll be excited to update you um, not only about where we stand from a giving perspective, but the more stories about the opportunity that we have to partner with, with Cure. Uh, and thank you for, for considering that and considering being a part of it. One of the things that I love about summertime, and maybe you're like this is, as well, is like the summer, summer movie season. Anybody out there like movie buffs? That, no? Oh, like, some of you are like, all right, three of you. 
I don't know what's, what's wrong with the rest of you, but like these aren't the movies generally that are gonna like win an Oscar kind of thing. It's more like just pure entertainment. And there's one that's coming out next week that I'm already looking forward to. It is the fifth in the Indiana Jones epic. Is anybody excited about this? It's like, I'm assuming at this point, Indiana Jones is battling some bad guys in like a nursing home somewhere because Harrison Ford's like 105 years old, I think. Or, and, and, uh, and part of the reason that I'm looking forward to this so much is there's some real nostalgia tied around this for me. Um, the very first Indiana Jones um, and the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark was released in 1981. And I think it is the movie that I first ever remember seeing at home on a VHS recording. Like, it was like just world changing at the time. If you don't know what that is, a VHS, I'll explain it. It's kind of like Netflix, but way more involved and you had to rewind and, um, and, and as a kid, the storyline of Indiana Jones was so compelling. It just captured me, right? The, the adventure. And at the heart of it is this pursuit of, of treasure, of high-value items. Like the movie begins with Indiana Jones combing through the jungle in order to retrieve this, this statue that has been lost over time, that it's immensely valuable and he's not doing it strictly for the financial gain of it he's doing it for the gain of kind of knowing about these ancient civilizations and as the story goes on they ultimately end up searching for the ark of the covenant i won't ruin it for you if you haven't seen the movie it has been out since 1981 so it's kind of your fault at this point but what I find compelling about that in, in part is because that is one of the most consistent themes or storylines that you will see, whether it be in books or movies, it's some notion, some concept of this, this value that is out there somewhere that somebody is committing their life to tracking down, to going after. And it's also interesting to note that this is one of the metaphors or the themes that Proverbs use to help us understand our connection or relationship or the way we should approach wisdom. The Proverbs opens up with this depiction of wisdom being immensely valuable. And because it's so valuable, Solomon, as he writes this, he wants us to understand that our lives should be invested in seeking after it. We are called to pursue it. In fact, last week we began our summer series on Proverbs, and this whole series is entitled The Pursuit of, of Wisdom. If you were here last week, you know that Pastor Joe preached from Proverbs uh, chapter 1, and in and, and doing so, he kind of gave us an introduction into not only Proverbs itself, but really this genre of wisdom literature, as well as the, the biblical vision for wisdom. And if you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to take the time this week. Go back and listen to Joe's sermon. You can find that online. It's on our, our website as well as on YouTube. Because he really does lay an important foundation for understanding how we think about wisdom literature. And there's, there's mistakes, hermeneutical, interpretive mistakes we can make if we don't understand what it is that we're reading here. Joe defined, as a part of this sermon, biblical wisdom as the skill of living a godly and faithful life. 
So biblical wisdom is a skill to be developed in us that helps us to live out our lives in a way that honors God and is in alignment with his purposes, his calling, his design in our lives. So Proverbs is this, this manual of sorts to help train us in this skill, to help develop in this, and it gives us these principles for living wisely. Again, Joe made the distinction between reading Proverbs as promises and understanding them as principles, and that's important. Originally, Proverbs would have most likely been used as a part of the ancient uh, Hebraic education system. It would have been used as a way to train young men in, to serve in the court or to serve as, as advisors, counselors, oftentimes in a royal setting, places and situations where wisdom was of paramount value. And Solomon, who has been gifted by God himself, is uniquely equipped to provide that training. And in doing so, he actually uses this, this wisdom literature technique that is not, it's not unique to biblical wisdom literature. Uh, it's, it's found in other ancient Near East cultures where he presents his case or he shares his argument by writing as a, a father or a more seniored leader to their son. And so Proverbs 1 through 9 reads as a father writing a letter to his son. It's kind of the introduction to Proverbs. And then in chapter 10, we start to see kind of what we, what we might readily think more traditionally of as Proverbs, where you see these one or two line kind of statements that provide a biblical wisdom principle. And so let's begin here by looking at these instructions designed to inspire and instruct us and the pursuit of wisdom. And we'll start with that. We'll start by looking at the pursuit of wisdom. We're gonna pick things up today. And, and throughout this series, we're gonna be jumping around quite a bit, but we're gonna start today in, in Proverbs chapter two. I'm gonna read the first five verses and we'll talk a little bit about this pursuit. My son, so you hear him using this technique. If you accept my words, and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding. Furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Flip over just a, a couple of pages to Proverbs chapter 80. He says something very similar here. Proverbs 8, uh, verse 10 now. He says, Accept my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and nothing desirable can equal it. So Solomon's desire, the case he makes to his, his hypothetical son, right, is that this desire for wisdom, the pursuit of it, ought to equal its, its, its value. And he's saying wisdom is of, of greatest value and nothing desirable, he says in chapter eight, can equal it. And we, we grasp this idea of value and pursuit. It's, it's, in, it's all over our culture. It's all over every culture, right? We pursue the things that we value. Anybody make it to the Taylor Swift concert this summer? Okay, Andy, I knew I, you, it's typical, right? 
Like, I know many of you know the story, it was all over the news, but like when the Taylor Swift concert went live, it, it like broke the internet. Ticketmaster could not handle the demand of fans looking for tickets. It was like literally like in Congress, like there was uh, uh, sessions dedicated to what went wrong with the ticketing for Taylor Swift. As a result of this, the resale value of Taylor Swift tickets so a $200 Taylor, uh, $200 Taylor Swift ticket, we're selling on average, the average price paid was over $2,400 for a single ticket to, to the concert. Um, some resale websites recorded sales of over $30,000 per ticket, which is crazy. There was a chocolate factory in Philadelphia that went full Willy Wonka with it. They, they acquired 10 tickets and hid them in their chocolate bars, a digital code, and then sold the chocolate bars for people who were hoping to get lucky enough to get a Taylor Swift ticket. One resourceful fan, at being at the concert, decided to try to recoup some of that $2,400. They collected, this is a picture of their eBay listing. They collected a bag of air from the concert <laughs> and listed it on eBay for $100, okay? And this is the description. It cannot be confirmed, but there is a high probability that Taylor actually breed this particular simple, uh, sample of air at some point during the show. This is your chance to have a piece of her and the era's tour. Like, I also, by the way, have some air if anybody wants. Later, I'll sell you the... And of course, there's countless examples of this. We hear this every year at the Super Bowl, right? Like the, the value of things that people are going in, it's, it's a human principle that, that we pursue the things that we value. And we have fun with, with things like Taylor Swift and the Super Bowl and other things. But, but underneath all of that is a much more enduring principle regarding the way that we live our lives. And, and Solomon is speaking to this. And as he writes this instruction to, to the son, it's the father saying them there is a value of wisdom that far exceeds other pursuits. And notice there's two, two important, uh, important aspects or qualities, elements of this, this value. First, he helps us understand why it's so value, valuable. Look again at verse 2 and 3. Of, uh, of Proverbs 2. He says, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding. Furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, he's, he's using these words to help us gain some perspective on what wisdom gives us. Back in chapter 8, again, in verse 12, he says, I, wisdom, share a home with shrewdness. Other translations use the word prudence there and have knowledge and discretion. Timothy Keller and his commentary um, and some of his work he did on Proverbs was really helpful in me wrapping my head around this because these Hebrew words really help build a picture or a framework for why wisdom is so valuable. Those, those terms of understanding and insight, they convey this idea of knowing how things really work, how they're designed to work, how they ultimately really happen. That idea of shrewdness or prudence, this, this Hebrew word is, is um, it's like being able to notice the details, the, the, the specifics of something. Uh, Keller used the illustration, like think of like um, Sherlock Holmes. 
right? Where in every story, if you saw the PBS series, whatever, you walk in and you're... Uh, Watson usually is just like seeing the things that all of us would see the obvious that's there but Holmes is able to like notice like this this thread was torn in this specific way or there's this residue of this chemical or there's whatever it is that's going to reveal to him the mystery behind the scene that he's in shrewdness is 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 kind of that thing and then this this insight and this shrewdness it's designed to guide and direct us Right? And, and again, to go back to Pastor Joe's sermon last week, it's, it's the skill that we're building in of living godly and faithful lives. So in other words, if we perceive how things really work and we understand how they really are, the outworking of wisdom is then what we should do about it. And he's saying, this is why it's so valuable. This is what it gives you. The pursuit of human wisdom, by and large, right, if, if we were to kind of contrast this, and we'll get into this more next week, but it's, it's human wisdom says create for yourself favorable circumstances, accumulate power and affluence and, and influence and whatever else you need in order to gain comfort and to avoid pain. The problem with that is that if you've lived enough life, it has a way of exposing that that promise of human wisdom is an illusion. It's it's like a mirage, right? All the time while it's out there and you're chasing after it and you're pursuing it, it it, it holds all this promise and then you arrive there and you discover just more desert. But biblical wisdom isn't about pursuing favorable circumstances it's about learning to live and according to the way god designed us this godly and faithful lives in every set of circumstances and this the father says to his son this is of highest value so pursue it make it the pursuit of your life and then proverbs continues in this this question of value and pursuit it also helps us understand how we discover it where we find it verse one again he says my son if you accept my words and store up my commands within you and jump down to verse six he says for the lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding so at the risk of sounding oversimplistic or stating the obvious Right, The pursuit of wisdom begins with our recognition of our need for wisdom. And that the source of wisdom itself is, is God himself. So wisdom begins from a place of humility. It begins by recognizing that, that there's something that I need that I don't, I don't have in and of myself and that I need to go to God with. In Proverbs chapter 8, we've been kind of bouncing back and forth there. Wisdom is personified as, as a, a woman. We'll talk more about this next week when we talk about the contrast between wisdom and, and foolishness. And wisdom is personified and it's saying wisdom is speaking. In, in Proverbs 8, And it says, I was there when God shaped the earth. I was present at creation. 
She was there when the earth was formed and when humanity, as God bent over and breathed life, embedded his image into humanity, wisdom says, I was there for all of it. The point being, she understands how we're designed. She understands how the world was created to work because she was there. So the pursuit of of wisdom is the pursuit of God himself. He is wisdom and we aren't. Again, this gets highlighted in the person of Jesus. Joe last week said it so succinctly. I know I just keep quoting Joe, which he's going to love this week, but (laughs) he's saying Jesus did not just have wisdom. He is wisdom. Wisdom isn't, it's not the same thing as uh, morality or the law. It's, It's how it's applied. It's how we use it. There's all kinds of decisions that we make that even could be morally from a, from the state of the law could be morally good and yet if applied incorrectly could do damage right uh, I, I could have a heart to serve the poor that would be morally good that's right right but if i don't do that in a way that is helpful if i do that in a way that actually perpetuates the problem right and my effort to do a moral good I am unwise, and then I create further damage. You get the picture. This is why I think it's so critical for us and why we try to spend so much time as a church and in small groups in different places studying the life of Christ because he was law and grace that was lived out in total perfection. He helps us understand what it looks like. He's wisdom in flesh and blood. So let me just ask you a question. What are you pursuing? What am, what am I pursuing with my life? What, if I were to look across my life, what would it say that I ultimately value? Because the case Solomon makes as he writes this wisdom literature to this son is that it ought to be wisdom. It is the thing that, that nothing that is desirable, no, no wealth, no power, no, no influence, any of it can compare to what wisdom gives you. It is of highest value. So wisdom is a treasure to pursue. But it is also then a path to take. There's a second metaphor here in the text that I want us to look at, and that is the path of wisdom. The path of wisdom. Let's go back to verse... See here, six now. Listen to the way he continues to describe wisdom with this metaphor. He says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up successes for the upright. He is a shield for those who live with integrity, so that he may guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his faithful followers. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, and integrity every good path for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will delight you discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you like have you ever found yourself in a situation where you you see somebody quote unquote walking down a path and you can you can see where it ends you can see that the the journey is not going to end well and you're trying to kind of like pull them off that and redirect them. 
I remember when I was a uh, student pastor like 20-something years ago in Wheaton, I, uh, I had this one kid who would always come in and say, hey, can we, can we talk? And he always was coming to get relationship advice for me. He was always like, you know, falling in love with some girl in the youth group, that sort of thing. And, and he'd be like, how do, I, how do I approach this? And I had seen some of these situations unfold already. So I was like, let me see if I can redirect your approach. Like, let's try just getting to know. Like his kind of strategy was go big or go home. Like <laughs> confess undying love, like all this sort of stuff. And it hadn't gone well. And I was like, can we just let, what if you just spent some time with them, get to know them, learn their middle name. Like let's have some goals here that we start working out before you propose and all these sorts of things. Let's Let's try some baby steps towards this and just build a genuine friendship. And he'd sit there and listen and nod. And like, I, I could see it in his eyes. He's like, he's just going to go do exactly what, <laughs> like what he's done before. And like the, the sick part of me inside, like, you know, it was like I wanted to kind of stand back and watch because I knew what was going to happen. And, and we've all been in situations and maybe we've even think of moments in our own lives. Where, where we recognize a path and we've seen it. And some point in time, there's this kind of this turning point where we're redirected away from that. In fact, this imagery of a path, this is one of the most consistent metaphors used to describe faith following after God throughout all of Scripture. It occurs some like 700 times in Scripture. In fact, one of the most famous verses uh, using this is from Psalm 119. It says, your, your, lamp is a, or your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. It's connecting that source of wisdom, the word of God, to the journey of walking faithfully towards him, towards maturity in him. And the metaphor is instructive. It implies that, that there is a, a, a pathway versus a path through. So wisdom is not just this destination. It's not an experience that we land at where we were once unwise and now, now we find ourselves to be wise. But rather, it is the result of repeated steps, repeated actions taken, leading you to wisdom. Think for a moment of David's prayer after he is confronted by the prophet Nathan following his sin against Bathsheba. When he finally has this confession in Psalm 139, right? He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Redirect me. Put me on a different path. Because he became, he was, he was made aware of the fact that he was on a path that led ultimately to pain and destruction. Again, notice the if-then statements here in Proverbs. It says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding, furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like treasure, verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Jump down to verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and integrity, every good path. Right? These are the results. This is where the pathway of wisdom leads us. 
to righteousness and to justice and to integrity. What it describes as every good path. Jesus himself, when he's talking about who he is, he's defining himself. Right? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the pathway to him. Wisdom is a pathway that is taken by steady, repeated actions. Right? You are becoming, who you are becoming is the product of the things that you do every day. Who you are becoming is the product of the things that you do every day. And so, um, real quickly, I want to just make one more point here. And that is this, is that oftentimes, and, and Proverbs says this, one of the most famous Proverbs in, in Proverbs 27, right, is iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Wisdom and the pathway of wisdom is best taken in community. Meaning that there is a part that you and I play in that together for each other. The, the one image of, of uh, somebody taking a hike, right? Like oftentimes we imagine something like this as this personification of wisdom that I'm just going out into nature and I got to find myself. And uh, the, the spiritual discipline of solitude is important and meaningful in my life. But as as a metaphor, this is not how you're meant to walk the pathway. It should look more like the second picture, right? Where you're in community together, where, where pursuing wisdom requires the body of Christ around you speaking into that, checking things against each other. When left to my own devices, it is amazing how quickly I can convince myself that biblical wisdom looks a lot like Sterling's wisdom. And if not checked by the body of Christ, right, I oftentimes end up on a path of my own choosing. And so wisdom is best pursued. This path is best walked towards a shared destination in community together. So where does the path that you're on lead you? Right? Wisdom is a pathway that leads to the everlasting way. And then finally, I want to just look real quickly at the heart of wisdom. The heart of wisdom. Chapter 3 now. Verse 1. It says, My son, don't forget my teaching, and let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many, uh, they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then you'll find favor and high regard with God and people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know Him. And He will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. That's exactly what I was just talking about when I, when I walked the path in isolation. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So it can be really easy when we study Proverbs together to kind of like relegate it to this level of almost like formal compliance, right? Like when you got in a fight with your sibling as a kid and your parents made you like hug and tell each other that you love each other, right? Was that born out of like my love for my brother? No, it was born out of like trying to avoid consequences from my parents. It was formal compliance. 
But here the Father writes, and this is important, instead of just approaching this wisdom literature for its good ideas or its sage advice, the, the Father says to His Son, I want your heart to be reshaped and reformed. Away from just a recognized benefit that, that this wisdom may give you, but rather His desires for His Son's heart is to align Himself away from self and his ways, and to be realigned to the very heart of God. And at the core of this, our ability to do this, what is required to accomplish that? Notice verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The pursuit is built on trust. It's that the things that he wants for you, the things that are good for you, where you have to step out in faith and say, even if I don't understand this if i don't recognize where this is leading me but i want i i trust you i trust the direction that you're taking me even when he says i I make your path straight it's what does that mean what what does the the guidance and the direction look like in my life and that's what i want us to be wrestling with this summer as we begin to explore this further but what we can be certain of here in this text is that it is in contrast to my own understanding. See, wisdom begins by by understanding that, that God has created truth. He is truth. He is wisdom, and I'm not. And then I have to trust Him with my life. One year when I was in Ecuador... Uh, we had the opportunity. We went to a different jungle location. We got to do like these jungle caves. And if you've ever gone caving, um, it's terrifying. Uh, like it is just pitch black in there. And he would do this thing every once in a while. He'd turn off his light and nobody can, you're just like going out to like grab the person next to you and stay together. And at one point in time, just to mess with us, this was our Ecuadorian guide, like he knew this place in the river where, um, that was going through the cave where there was like a, a hole in the riverbed. And so he just jumped in the river and completely disappeared. And I started writing the emails I was going to be sending to parents about how I lost some of their kids in some jungle cave in, in Ecuador. And he just like was gone. And I was like, well, this is, this is how it ends, right? Like, and then he pops up down river just laughing. And, and I cannot tell you the joy when I saw him again. Like I gave that Ecuadorian guy the biggest hug I've ever given anybody. Because, right, because when you find yourself in that situation, what are you looking for? The one person who knows the way. He was the one person there who knows the way. And this is the heart of the father in Proverbs for his son. Look to the one who knows the way. Allow your heart to be tra- transformed to resemble his heart. Pursue biblical wisdom. Because at the heart of wisdom is the heart of an all-loving God who created you and who knows you and who would give his life for you. Trust him. Trust him. He knows the way. Let's pray together. Father, we do just thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for this morning and this opportunity just to celebrate these baptisms and, and how you're working in the lives of our kids, Lord. And and God, as we think about wisdom, we understand, Lord, that, that, um, that your ways are in such stark contrast to my own. 
And so we've got to just pray right now, even in the, this moment, Lord, that you would humble our hearts, that we would recognize our need for you, that we would recognize and acknowledge the immense value of what wisdom gives us and that we would pursue it faithfully and steadily, step after step, seeking to know you more and the life that you have for us. Let us trust you with everything that we have because you're the one who knows the way. Amen. Well, again, I I hope you'll uh, continue with us through this summer as we explore together what what wisdom looks like as we begin to talk about the wisdom that's there and specific topics and areas around family or work and relationships and and uh, and continue just to seek God together as a as a community. We can pray with you this morning. It's a privilege and an honor to do that. Our prayer team is available. You can come find me as well. Um, like I mentioned earlier, if you came prepared to give today, uh, our, our, your generosity matters and it's making a difference. Um, whether that's to serve the world and, and our efforts in, uh, with Cure in Africa or to the regular ministries here, thank you for being a part of that. Um, and I want to read these words over you for our benediction this morning. So now receive the benediction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understandings. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. Amen.